0: Ladies and gents, welcome back to another engineer's podcast. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Paige Cruz, who's a developer advocate at Chronosphere. They're US-based, and they're a company centered all around the lovely things of observability. And Paige is going to walk us through some really interesting case studies uh, with some huge names over in the US, DoorDash being one of them, We're also going to talk a little bit about her journey from software engineer through SRE and varying levels of that into the dev advocate space and more engineering challenges, as usual, in between. So, Paige, thanks for joining us.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat all things observability and what's been going on in the industry lately.
0: I've got my water as well. You've got your coffee. It's early for you.
1: (laughs) It is. Um. But this is one of the true joys of my job as a developer advocate is getting to talk to the broadest possible audience I can all about why observability really matters to them at the end of the day, whether they're yeah. a VP, or a director, or a manager, or an entry level software engineer, actually, observability is important for all of us.
0: Yeah, it really is. We were talking Offline, you know, 10 minutes ago, about the need for observability. With all of the chaos in 2023, I think observability now more than ever is so critical to businesses to know, you know, what their systems are doing, what their systems are saying, you know, some of those systems being super critical, productivity of people, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. So, <laughs> it's really key. So thanks for bringing that to us. Do you want to give Chronosphere an introduction and tell us all about the business and what they do?
1: Absolutely. So Chronosphere was a startup born in the pandemic. We are um, just about over three years old now. And really, we're born from our founders, Martin and Rob's experiences working on challenges with getting good observability at scale over at Uber, when Uber was reaching super high growth, when we were all calling it back when the prices were super low to call Ubers, Um, times have changed. Um, But their experiences working on M3, the metrics database over there that they've open sourced, really showed them that this wasn't a problem unique to Uber. This was actually a problem worth addressing for the industry writ large. And so they spun out of Uber and started Chronosphere. And within three short years, they've really tackled um, first metrics Um, Our philosophy is we're embracing open source instrumentation. That is the way forward. The days of installing a proprietary agent, getting locked into one vendor specific ecosystem. Those days are almost behind us. Uh, We got to get a few more folks migrated, um, but those days are numbered. Um and so they said, you know, what are what are the open source standards? When you look to metrics, that's prometheus. Prometheus has been there helping us understand our kubernetes clusters for years. And when it comes to the other signals like traces, open telemetry is really finally putting its roots in the ground is getting adoption is spreading pretty wide stream. Um and not only for traces, I think it can get pigeonholed as a niche tracing um implementation. But actually, if you have not looked at open telemetry in the last even two years, we have added metrics, logs are experimental and in progress. So open telemetry is really unfolding its umbrella to be a singular pipeline um, and delivery mechanism for all types of telemetry. And why that is so important? Why would you found a whole company around open source observability? Why not build your own agents? Well, customers are finding that are on otel and that are on prometheus that having control over their instrumentation and data having the ability to at least with the with the open telemetry collector to be able to process add metadata add filters drop things aggregate to be able to do that on your in your network before sending it over to a vendor helps you with costs it helps you with even compute efficiency and so And the other benefit, so one is more control. It's your data. You should own it. Um, When a situation or a vendor doesn't work out, or perhaps you're running your own DIY um, Prometheus installation, which is a totally great way when you're starting your company and you're small out and the data loads are manageable, why not start with DIY Prom? But at a certain point, as your business scales, the more effort you're spending in keeping your monitoring system alive instead of putting those SREs or ops folks on helping your product become more performant and reliable, that's a business disadvantage. And so at a certain point, it makes sense to say, what would it look like if we sent this to a vendor and freed up more time? And that's really what drew me to Chronosphere is one, I didn't want to work in proprietary instrumentation anymore. I I see where the the puck is going. I want to be there. Um, And the second is that, when we talk about efficiency and developer productivity, sometimes when I'm reading these articles online, I'm like, it really sounds like you're blaming the developer. Like, I want to take a second because we have been shifting everything left to developers are supposed to be testing experts and performance engineers and SRE and they have to run and operate their own stuff. So they're maybe touching Terraform. And like, we put a lot on developers plate and now the headlines are all about Developer productivity, like that, is a lot of pressure to put on them. And for me, I'm like observability needs to be there to help you. It's to it's there to understand your systems. It's there when you get paged and you get an alert. It means your alert has context, so your investigation is jump started instead of figuring out should this alert even fire? Is there actually a problem? Why did I wake up for this or leave my movie or whatever it is? Um, and so. I guess in a nutshell, I'm I'm excited about Chronosphere. I joined and I'm proud to be advocating for it because open source instrumentation, I think, is best for the customers. It's great for us as a vendor, but it's really more about the customer experience. Um, I have done some observability migrations. They are my least favorite project. <laughs> they are getting easier to do, um, the more and more tooling that is built, but um, it's a big lift for your company and you want to make um, the right choices. So. Um, it's about, yeah, control and ownership of the data. And then for me, that transparency around how much it's going to cost. We had talked a little bit about this FinOps book I'm reading, which is a mashup of finance and DevOps. And it is drawing a lot of parallels for me with the cost of observability. They mentioned this term called a spend panic, which is where a company has moved to the cloud. The bills were fine for a while. And at a certain point, Enough new instances are getting spun up, or some data store for a developer environment has been running for three years and nobody even knows how to access it. Um, and, and you have this moment as a leader where you say, Well, <laughs> the bill is too high and we've got to bring it down. Um, that spend panic moment is very much the same for observability. Um, you can see a lot of a lot of headlines these days about like eye popping observability bills. And Martin and Rob and the team at Chronosphere thinks that is not. The way that it should be. And they've built what they've built. Um, part of it is called the control plane. And it gives our customers the ability to say, Do you want to filter things, drop them, aggregate these metrics? Do you want us to pre compute these really expensive queries? So when you open a dashboard, it is snappy. Um, because if there's anything yep. a developer hates, it's waiting for more than like three <laughs> seconds. Um, not a patient bunch.
0: <laughs> what I love about a couple of things in there, there's some nuggets that. I want to pick up on the fact that you know, especially at a global scale of a business like Uber, you work on an open source project or, or you build some tooling internally that you think will be valuable for the business, you open source it, you build a company around it. We've we featured about a year ago now, uh, team Incident IO who did something similar at Monzo Bank. And yes. It's fascinating to see that idea, that project grow into a real business, because it it is a real business need across other businesses, regardless of your scale. So that's a nugget in there that I find really, really fascinating. The FinOps part, you know, we've spoken about this as well. Some costs are astronomical, and I think to really gauge, especially what I've seen over the last couple of years running this podcast, observability is a topic that we talk more and more about in in different ways. But I think cost, cost control, cost visibility is really important to businesses. Again, at varying size of businesses, especially if you're a small startup and you're thinking about how do we get something off the ground. But We keep our costs as low as possible. Just having that understanding, having that visibility of where your spend is, is key.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that I think the philosophy of DevOps um, itself is always preaching is that continuous improvement, that the technical decisions you make today, the architecture that you choose today, um, that is fine. You're solving the problems for the current context you're in in the moment. That does not mean uh, that that decision should stand for the next three years you just like um as people reevaluated monoliths and moving to microservices, I think if you have not yet explored tracing now is a great time to see when and how this could help your engineers um, If your metrics or logging bills are just so high and your executives are in a spend panic um yeah. what I see is people really kind of quick reacting, do whatever it takes to lower the bill. What I would love to see and things that Chronosphere helps you do is understand what data is not valuable to you. So we make it really easy to find the low-hanging fruit of, are there metrics that nobody has manually queried for, that aren't even charted on a dashboard, that aren't a part of a monitor, um, that like literally no one has been looking at? That is a pretty safe thing to just cut. You can always read out a metric back if you need it, but like, we're helping you make more intelligent decisions about what data you need and your engineers rely on and what you don't, because our message isn't cut costs at the expense of everything, but really making sure you're paying for getting the most usage out of the data that you're paying for. Um, Yeah. And so that, that is like one of our features called metrics analyzer. I would have killed for uh, about a few years ago in a role where I had to do um, trimming of the bill. And and it I was like, you, if I could go back in time and just have Chronosphere, this would have saved me months in like handcrafted Google spreadsheets with awful formulas. Like, oh my God, I would have loved this. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to represent all of the things, all of the parts of our product that Right. are there to help you. We don't want to have an adversarial billing relationship. We want to help you because we know if you're happy with your data and you're happy with the experience, you'll stay with us. Um, yeah. <laughs> no lock-in. No, in. of course. I guess, yeah, there's just a yeah. million reasons i like lock No uh,
0: lock-in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Throw us a couple of typical engineering challenges that Chronosphere feel sure. that they have to tackle on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, there's a couple cases. One one which we have mentioned before is where you are outgrowing your DIY observability stack. And it's not just kind of small early startups. There are a lot of midsize and larger companies that still do run their own stacks and have whole teams that are staffed to keeping that operationally alive. And for me, I came from, I always came from, working at an observability vendor or using a vendor's product. I hadn't really seen or understood the challenges of DIY self hosting until I got here. And I started to ask questions and we would get nuggets from engineers like, oh, our monitoring system goes down frequently. I said, excuse me, (laughs) excuse me. That is the one part that like absolutely like no offense to the rest of your product, but if you can't monitor it, that's very terrifying as somebody holding the pager um, you know, your quote unquote flying blind. And so like that's the worst case, right? That's like you're in a really bad spot if you're self-hosting and, and things are going down. Um the other part is just the performance. There are some really awesome queries that are very expensive in time and computation to run. And what that translates to at the end of the day for engineers who are troubleshooting is a dashboard with just that infinite loading spinner, the rainbow beach ball, if you will, like when I am responding to an alert, I do not want to see a loading spinner. I want to see that data, I want to see that data yesterday, and that lag can really affect like to take a step back, the like cognitive overload of responding to incidents in these complex systems, you're having to hold a lot of state in your head about which component is breaking and what that means for your users and some awareness of the infrastructure is this everybody, a particular region. Maybe just one node. And the longer it takes for your data to load, the more you're having to really hold on to that information, not let any of it drop, just so you can correlate something that you saw from the alert or whatever it is. And so when we talk about developer productivity, I'm like, well, you've got to have a responsive observability platform because we need to move at the speed that you think. Um, We need to get out of your way as much as possible and just be helping you and giving you insights and guiding you along the way. Um, So that's one challenge is sort of that DIY. There are challenges um, as your business grows, both staffing and operating it, and then also just the user experience of it. A second challenge that I see um, for a lot of companies are ones who are ready to move away from proprietary instrumentation. They want to embrace open source. They want to embrace open telemetry and and tracing maybe. Um, But They're not quite sure how to navigate from where they are to that kind of nirvana oasis because it is a big lift to re-instrument. The reason some of these legacy incumbent vendors have so many customers on their roster is because it's very hard if you've installed their agents to rip them out because it's a project where you have to ask every single team to do work. Um, Or maybe you've got a very good centralized SRE or central observability team that can help provide tooling. But at the end of the day, you're touching almost every component in your system from infra to application. And those projects, (laughs) that is just like a, I don't know if you've ever tried to get more than like 50 people to do something. It's a slog. Um, And so the approach that I've been taking now and where Chronosphere really can come in to help is like, let us guide you. We will let's piecemeal, let's break this up, let's instrument maybe your most critical services, we'll re-instrument those. And bit by bit, we'll add, we'll kind of rip and replace as we go, but we'll be here to help answer questions about how does uh, span sampling work if we want to do tail-based in the open telemetry collector. We can help guide you to like beef up your open source knowledge and you don't have to feel alone um, because that is, I think, Even people who want to embrace open telemetry, I think there's a little bit of fear. Has it been tested? How do I get help? There's nowhere I can file a support ticket and expect an answer. And so it is a bit of a mindset cultural shift to thinking about knowledge that you gain from Prometheus and open telemetry as really durable. Engineers can take that from company to company since these are becoming the standards. It's going to be easier to hire folks who know both of those already versus um, I've I've had to onboard to many different proprietary vendor tools. They're all radically different. They've all got different query languages, different interfaces, and um, different instrumentation libraries. And that is honestly a lot for engineers to keep up with and I think is a contributing factor to why we have so many observability knowledge gaps. So I think seeing adopting open source observability as a journey, one that you're committed to, but not something that needs to be done overnight something that you will continue to see the benefits of as you roll it out and have a good partner by your side, like Chronosphere and our awesome customer success team or sales engineers, Um, knowing that you can partner with a vendor who will help you get the knowledge and skills you need, I think eases that risk a bit.
0: Yeah. I can now start to see the vendor in challenge, you explaining it, running me through some of those challenges, how it's multi-team and how it's not just one vendor, it's multiple. That's a challenge. That's a real challenge.
1: Yes. And, and I think when I think about open telemetry, so my a brief history, the last team I was on at my first company, uh, New Relic, was building out their tracing product. And so I have been thinking about distributed tracing for, you know, seven, eight years now, a lot more (laughs) than, uh, gosh, I've forgotten a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot of stuff. Um, But I've spent more time than the average engineer thinking about how to make tracing work, what the challenges are. Um, And people ask a lot, tracing is dead, or we don't really think that, If tracing's been around, why isn't everyone using it? And I'm like, well, it took us a long time to get one standard. We had to merge two competing open source projects. That already is a lot of work. We had to get every major vendor, um, or we offered every major vendor a spot at the table to help us craft this future. And if you think about what we're replacing, these incumbent legacy APM and monitoring vendors have had 10, 12, 15 years to develop their agents and to you know, build the infrastructure and the tooling needed. We are replacing that writ large with a standard. And like, yes, that will take time. But if you just follow the Otel release notes, you'll know that there is a constant steady drumbeat of improvements and new functionality being added. So if you want to wait, see how things shake out. I mean, the trend, it's trending very well (laughs) for completeness and for bringing all the signals together. So you know, if you're a little on the fence, check in with Otel in six months, you know, make a note to keep checking in and just see where it's progressed.
0: Nice. Okay. I'll put that in the comments below for okay. people to have that link and continue to come back to it. We've spoken offline about a couple of case studies. One we're gonna focus on is DoorDash. There's another really wanna go about Robin Hood, but let's touch on the DoorDash one. So would you like to paint a picture for the audience to just understand the DoorDash case study and how you've helped them scale plus other things I'm sure?
1: Yes. Um and for anybody that doesn't know DoorDash is like the American version of Deliveroo. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. Um same kind of I idea. should have done that. They- <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: I'm yeah, fascinated was- by this by the way because especially during covid big delivery fan so i want to see the ins and outs of all this stuff
1: yeah and when you think about <clears throat> the core model there you've got a user who's ordering from a mobile device food from a restaurant who they have not spoken to <clears throat> and also we are now dispatching somebody to go from point a to point b and a million things can go wrong along the way Traffic could be, you know, affecting that wait time. Maybe you accidentally dropped the soda and you had to go back. Like, there's a lot of things that can contribute to a poor customer experience. And the more data you have, I think, the better about that and the stats. And so that's like DoorDash in a nutshell. I love it when I'm on the road. I'm always DoorDashing to my hotel. Um, big fan. Yeah. <laughs> but Good. why? How did they? How did they get um, connected to Chronosphere? Well, they were unfortunately experiencing a lot of data loss with their metrics. And when we think about metrics, um, I think sometimes they get a bad rep as, you know, what are you going to do with the metric? It can't tell you where problems are. It can't tell you why something's happening. Well, metrics tell you that there's a problem. I think that's a pretty good, like, checklist item. Metrics are what powers all of the alerts that are paging engineers all the time. When a number passes a threshold, that is a metric. And so I think we need to show metrics a little bit of love. Um, and that kind of sets up why losing metrics or intermittently losing metrics is actually a big issue because we do rely on them to be that you know, pulse check on, on how our system's doing. And so they were using, um, DoorDash was using a bit of StatsD And one other solution to monitor their VMs, Um, but as their technical system grew, as they added more engineers, as more services came online, their monitoring system wasn't able to scale with them, and it kept breaking down. Um, And specifically, their lead had said that they were experiencing quote constant packet loss, which are three terrifying words Mm -hmm. (laughs) all in that order. Um, And unfortunately, their system was really brittle, and that developers could accidentally break the whole system by making some change that they thought was going to be totally fine. Um, but one little bug would crash the whole system for everybody, everybody's monitoring and metrics. Um, as an engineer, I would be now terrified to make changes to that. I, Even in a blameless culture, I don't want to be the one that brought <laughs> production monitoring down. Um, as an SRE, I would be constantly worried, when is the next breakage going to happen? Because if it is that brittle and that easy for inadvertent accidents to happen, like not malicious, I'm going to be on edge every time I'm on call <laughs> for that team. Um, and then when I think about leadership, I'm like, that is, I could understand a leader being like, well, why can't you keep the system up? It was working yeah. fine forever. I you know if you don't have that knowledge of how these, how to scale systems and what makes that challenging. And so what they found out is they had a big noisy neighbor problem. And let's see. Um this was just not acceptable for them. They're a very data-driven organization. They've actually got um some very cool like business statistics. I think they're one of the companies if you are using your observability and monitoring tool at its fullest potential, you you do have business metrics in there and you have people that are outside of software and operations and product looking at it. Um, And so it's not that they didn't appreciate or value data. It's just that the system they had had reached its breaking point for where they were. Um, And so when they were looking for a solution, um, again, because choosing an observability vendor or solution is a decision you wanna be very confident in. It's one that affects everything and everybody. People have to get trained. And it's not something you want to churn on constantly. Um, so they set out to say, what are the criteria for our next vendor? They wanted open source. They wanted, obviously, scalability, since that was their primary um, challenge of yep. their old system. Um, in addition to scalability, reliability. So the more data we throw at you, can you handle that? Will you be there for me um, when I get paged and I need to know what's going on? Um, and then, they needed it to be fully distributed. Um, which in our case, I think if I flip that on its head, we do provide single tenancy. So when we're talking about noisy neighbors or one metrics change affecting other people, we give each of our customers their own tenant. So they're not; no other customer can affect your experience on the Chronosphere platform. So I think that um, helps address that a bit. And so like, what happened after working with Chronosphere to um, move on to our control plane, to understand the data and the metrics they were using, um, one quote is, we don't even discuss metric loss. (laughs) You went from constant packet loss to not even an agenda item. They got four nines of platform reliability for us. We do not um, promise four nines. Uh, I believe we promised three nines, but that's what we have been delivering to them. In addition to (laughs) some other fun stats are, um, with our control plane, like I mentioned before, we give you that ability to filter, drop, aggregate, pre-compute. We really give you knobs to transform the telemetry data flow before it hits our storage. And once it hits our storage, that's when we start charging. But all the way up until then, when you're making these changes or if you were sending local development metrics in and you were running a load test and maybe you had a bunch of high cardinality data because you wanted very interesting load test results um, and the observability team said, hey, you're at your quota, you could add a rule to say, let's drop things with this tag, pages load test, Um, better example. Um, So when you're affecting the data volume that's hitting in the data Cardinality that's hitting our system that is also saving you money at the end of the day. Yep. In DoorDash's case, over three years they saved forty two point five million dollars. That's wow. a lot of headcount. That's a lot of burgers. Um, I could live on that for a very long time.
0: <laughs> wow. Um,
1: and that's because they they had this control over their data flow to make sure they were getting the most value out of what they wanted to store. Um, so, That's just a pretty like,
0: incredible sum of money. So. And fair. the irony around FinOps, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Hey?
1: Right. And the thing is, the functionality that we provide with Metrics Analyzer is fairly new and novel. A lot of vendors make it a little bit complicated to figure out yeah. when and where what's causing the build a spike um, because before it wasn't in their best interest um, to make that data available. Sort of like how your cloud bill is like, oh my God, how many SKUs, how many different ways can you charge me for S3? I think the answer is like 48. Um, There's a lot of different combinations. And so because not only did we make these tools accessible for people to modify and understand their data, but we also made it easy to do. The interface is simple. We let you sort and filter by most and least valuable and most data points per second, because obviously more data points per second, more data, more cost. Um, and for just a little mention of scale, DoorDash is sending about 840 million active time series. Um, wow. They have no shortage of data over there. When they say they're data driven, it is true. So it, it is not like we are cutting into the, like fidelity or the ability for them to pull great insights just by cutting this data that they didn't need or rolling things up. Um, Our whole idea is that you're balancing that cost efficiency with the effectiveness of the data and that those levers are for you to decide for your business context. But yeah, DoorDash had great success and I'm a big fan. They do not pay me to say that, I am a a big,
0: big, big fan. I bet. I bet. And I think with... So many developer tooling products nowadays, developer plugins, customer experience, right? And you're talking about dashboarding, you know, integrating certain parts into what you want to see, what data you want to see, the control plane. I think dashboard customer experience is so, so key nowadays to getting something right in that regard. So well done, guys. Well done
1: yes and, and obviously savings
0: door to... a success oh, go ahead yeah DoorDash were a success yes. uh, i'm sure robin hood was a success and many other case studies
1: yeah um we've got a few on our blog if you want to leaf through um because these savings don't just have to be for the super high scale or you yeah. don't have to wait until you have confident packet loss to come call us it's in everybody's best interest, if you start proactively exploring your options, even if you're not ready, um, see what's out there and see, do some napkin math to see what could be possible for your organization. Because I honestly don't know anyone whose company is like laughing, throwing cash in the air. Um, everyone's pretty much tightening the belts these days.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, we obviously know now, Chronosphere, great company, great product great mission and where it's come from. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. So software engineer, varying levels of SRE through to dev advocacy. So talk to us about that evolution.
1: Yeah, I I will say my relationship with technology has changed over the course of my career. I joined doing tech recruiting and a little bit of HR management, running an intern program. And This was when everyone was kind of parroting softwares eating the world. And I was like, you're kind of right. I was using Google Docs in high school. Um, I remember this software called Blackboard where some teachers would post homework, some teachers struggled to use it, which I think speaks to like the challenges we have in technology, making it intuitive and accessible for everyone. Um, And I thought, okay, there's something to this technology thing. I'm working with these software interns Um, I took a Python class in college. I studied engineering management. And so I was like, I know what a for loop is. Maybe I could ride this software wave. I I looked around, saw a lot of happy other women and other women who were really happy in their engineering roles. Right. Um, and then being in HR, I kind of knew what people made. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> I could yeah. buy a lot of alpaca if I was a software engineer. <laughs> um, and so What really started it, though, and the through line for my whole career is like the power of data to data in context to make points and effect change. And so in my case, I was doing this recruiting role, recruiting coordination role. and I said, look, our company is growing so fast. I am booking more and more interviews than I have before. I'm having to do this overtime. Um, Love overtime pay, but don't always want to have to do it. Um, I think we need to hire someone else. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we hear you. And then I said, "Mm, okay, I, I've Googled online and I found a Google app script that would count calendar events matching uh, a sub, a substring. And so I kind of copied and like hacked away a little bit until I got it to count up the number of interviews kind of rolled up week over week for that last probably two or three quarters to show like, no, 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 this is really, I'm. I'm not being like dramatic. <laughs> like this is taking up a lot of my time and I'm I'm I would like to raise the flag now. So I take my little chart into my HR meeting and I'm like, "Look at the data. We're doing, you know, this is wild." And at the time, ATS or applicant tracking systems were getting their heads around data analytics, but it wasn't like today where there's dashboards and charts all over the recruiting pipeline. And so I was able to provide this view that They weren't able to pull from the ATS. And all of a sudden, their eyebrows raised and said, wow, no, we're not going to hire somebody because we don't have budget. However, we really want you to make this report for the other, um, like the sales interview calendar and the marketing interview calendar. We want to see all this data together. And I thought, this, now this is interesting. What before was like a feelings-based conversation, I now have brought some facts. And while I didn't get the outcome I wanted, I saw how relevant and interesting data was providing better conversations and people were asking more questions. And we were able to share some of the load across all the coordinators because we could see who was snowed under. And so that to me, I was like, okay, if I can figure out how to explore and handle any bit of data that's available to me, it's fun. And I think this is a way that I can start to advocate for more changes. So that little episode kind of got people like, oh, you you know how to code. And I said, not really. Um, I went over to Hackbrite, which was a three-month software boot camp, learned more Python, came out, and was really not sure what to do. Um, even five, six, seven years ago, getting an entry-level software job with a non-traditional background was very difficult. It is even more difficult today, um, but because I had worked... Um, software company they did hire me back um and so i my first team was very meta we were building the demo for a monitoring company so to show off how good our monitoring platform was we had to write really bad software that did awful things like n plus one queries and horrible timeouts and i was like starting my career writing bad code on purpose um it was just very like some funny way.
0: to me that's some way to learn. Yeah.
1: I got to break all the rules um and from there, I thought, well, this is interesting. I've learned how a little bit about selling software because for our production environment, if we were down, that meant any salesperson who was in a demo had a real awkward time and had to cover for us and when you're not the face, when you're not the external person that's talking to customers yeah. or prospects, you don't feel that you're not the one. Whose faces out there having to apologize for reliability exactly. issues, and so the more I talked to sales, I was like, "Oh, it's really important what I'm doing." Um, mm-hmm. However, at a certain point, I said, "Okay, uh, we had got we had finished a couple of big projects to make um, the demo environment spin up, spin down uh, with Terraform, and so it was the project was in a good place." I said, "I want to try greenfield engineering." Moved over to the team that was working on tracing, building out the new product. And I said, Oh my God, Trace. I said, Oh my God, Greenfield is not for me. I am not the person you hire as your first engineer at a startup. I do not like the trade offs you have to make in those situations. I like to keep things reliable. I want to work on stability. I want to have a longer term vision uh, that I'm working towards. And so while I learned a lot about tracing, <clears throat> a lot about back end engineering, I, after a few months, I said, okay, I'm going to try this SRE thing because they're the ones that are focused on reliability and stability. And I think that is where my interests lie. So I popped over to a design company, did SRE, that's where I was introduced to Kubernetes. And I I found out from there and a couple other places I practice SRE, no one does it the same way. And Even people on the same team can have wildly different philosophies and reasons that motivate them and approaches that they think um, the team should take and even how to prioritize initiatives. And when you're not senior and you haven't seen a lot of projects and you haven't seen kind of the cycles of business and the trends and the seasonality, um, I found it to be a little bit taxing, always being like, but isn't this SRE? Like, isn't this how we should do it? I would like to try this. And um, and I think the role a little bit, when you're at, I was at B2B SaaS startups. When you're an SRE at mid-size B2B SaaS startups, you really are working on infrastructure. You are part-time IT, you are part-time security. It is, you wear many hats. And yeah. I wanted to wear one hat and I should have probably gone to a big company with an established discipline. But at the end of the day, all of that experience got me understanding what a SOC 2 audit looks like. Um, Reacting to spend panics, not only for the infrastructure cloud bill, but for the observability bill. Um, It got me understanding when and how to address incident coordination problems and how to really be thoughtful when interviewing engineers about their on-call experience so that they open up, um, instead of see you as someone who's just going to listen to them and never, never actually affect change. Um, And so I'm very grateful for the companies I worked with and the teams that I worked on and the mentors that still talk to me today and guide me. Um, But unfortunately, I was a victim of burnout. Um, After a couple companies, I think no one had a great time during the pandemic, um, and especially not me. and, And I really took a step to say, Took a sabbatical. What do I want to do? What are my skills? Where do my passions lie? And what is sustainable for me going forward? Um, Which is what brought me to observability developer advocacy, where I get all the best parts of SRE teaching, um, going to conferences and sharing my advice and perspective and conference talks, getting to do webinars, coming on lovely podcasts. Um, I get to share with the world why observability is important. And I don't just have to parrot Chronosphere. Well, I do believe Chronosphere is a like the best solution. I get to talk about open telemetry. Most of the work that you will see come out of me is free, open source, applicable, no matter what backend or vendor you're using. And for me, that is a lot more valuable to the industry than if I were just pushing out a proprietary vendor stuff. And so like, I'm learning a lot about marketing. I promise you, we don't sit and dream up new buzzwords. (laughs) I think people think we're just like evil and how do we get your phone number and spam call you? Like maybe other fields, not us. We really just want to get the right message in front of the right person at the right time. Uh, So yeah, that's a little bit like in a nutshell, I've seen a lot, done a lot. And all of that led me to a very informed decision to come work and put my face um, on Chronosphere's product.
0: There's so many takeaways there, I think there's bravery, there's ingenuity, there's intuitiveness to go and build that solution in your very first job, doing a recruitment coordinator role to then you know take on that take on that step, continue going, and you know be in the face of the unknown of not really knowing maybe how to go and build something or or write something and look at where you are. I think so many people will be able to look at this and hopefully take a lot of confidence and positives from this that anyone can do it. We do have a tech shortage or we, sorry, we do have a people shortage in tech that obviously everyone's thinking about very different ways to try and address, but it's examples like this that are, incredible that you should be extremely proud of and hopefully people can draw from that and think yeah screw it i'm gonna do that as well
1: yeah i please i really think that especially in the observability space we use these really off-putting academic and scary sounding terms telemetry observability cardinality um and so what i try to tell people is like I know this stuff because I've worked at multiple monitoring and observability companies. I was surrounded by the statisticians who did the math behind how to group alerts together in statistically meaningful ways. I don't know that math. I know they know it. (laughs) I know what I don't know. Um, But at the end of the day, when you, at this point, with as much content and tutorials are out there, when you run into scary, unfamiliar, Academic sounding terms, you don't have to go to dry textbooks. Um, there are a ton yeah. of DevRels who try to break this down and make it approachable. And that's, I, I think there's ne- never been a better time to start learning this space if it's something that you really want to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's I what I try to that. do mystify it.
0: <laughs> no, good for you. Lastly, before we leave, Chronosphere, Hotel, where are they going to be? in the next six to 12 months?
1: Oh my gosh, okay. The hardest part of my job is that I get to see things that are in development uh, that I'm not allowed to talk about um, publicly until we announce them. What I will say is uh, around KubeCon, so November, KubeCon, we've got some good things brewing. Um, Pay attention uh, to Chronosphere on all of our social channels. I think we're really continuing to invest in How do we help you adopt open source? How do we help you enable your engineers to learn the skills they need to learn for instrumentation, analyzing time series, charts, whatever it may be? We want to help you along every step of the way. Um, And because we're a young startup, we have a pretty rapid pace of development. We are not um, beholden to supporting a giant platform that does 20 different things. We've got a really good focus. And we're continuing to make that experience better. So if you're evaluating Chronosphere today, know that the goodness is only going to continue to come. That's the advantage, I think, of going with a younger startup that's had time to learn from cloud failures and observability mishaps and interesting pricing schemes. Um, we were able to yeah. learn from all of that mm-hmm. and really provide a best-in-class experience.
0: Good. And this has been a class experience as well this has been great learning more about chronosphere it's so fun. hopefully we can accelerate some of that adoption as well and people listen to this and think I'm going to use that uh, but also okay. listening and learning more about your journey as well and how you've risen from role to role but it's been great to have you on board Uh, I always say this, but I always want to check in with people, see where they're up to. We'll be checking in at some point, seeing how the business has grown. Have a great time at CubeCon. It's mid-September now. Uh, But for everyone listening, likes, shares, comments, they're massively appreciated. You're going to have all the info that you need in the description to keep on following these guys and girls. And Paige. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and see you around the observability world. Hey guys,
0: thanks for watching this episode. Uh, Massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter we can be found uh, engineers.io, it's no underscore. We've also got a website which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks guys.